the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. to get down to business? Join seasoned entrepreneur, community leader, and Army veteran Scott Shalom Klein, who will take you behind the scenes with those who work in America's small business scene and speak with leaders making an impact, creating jobs, and telling their story in entrepreneurship. So let's get down to business. On AM560, The Answer, here's your host, Shalom Klein. And indeed, we're all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship and business. We talk a lot about business here on with Get Down to Business, and I'm your host, Shalom Klein. Remember, you can always download podcasts on my website at sykline.com. Follow me on Twitter at Shalom Klein and get ready for a jam-packed week of content and information you will not want to miss. So let's jump right in. I'm thrilled to be joined by Master Coach, founder of MetaWorks. That is Rachel Ryder, who has written a fantastic read published in March. Who you are is how you lead. That's something we talk about all the time on this program. Rachel founded MetaWorks in 2015 after a distinguished career in HR, receiving executive coaching certifications from Columbia University, extensive training in mediation. Um, and we're going to talk all about a lot more background, including some uh, large organizations. Um, but Rachel, really excited to have you on the program. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Shalom. So nice to be here. Absolutely. So Rachel, I always love to get to know the person behind the microphone. So Rachel, I know people don't just write a book um, because they've got nothing else to do. I know that this has sort of been a, uh, a long journey for you. Um, so let's talk a little bit about that journey, some of your corporate experience, and what led you to become so passionate about leadership in general? Well, uh, yeah, I grew up in the HR world. And what I found is that as I managed the employee life cycle from beginning of their career at whatever company I was working at to the end. Unfortunately, I was also responsible for firing quite a lot of people. I found that the real impact that I could have was when they were really being thoughtful and strategic instead of reactive about their organization. And the more I had to fire people, the clearer it was that I really wanted to spend my time working with the folks who were being thoughtful and strategic. And so that's really where I decided to spend my time. Absolutely. And so this is less of a, call it a book, and more of a how-to. Um, mm -hmm. It's got a lot of real-life examples of how leaders can avoid uh, damaging team morale, you say, um, with often sharp elbows, micromanaging. I have to assume that a lot of these things are things that you saw in your HR experience. So you know, let's let's talk about the method that you describe and who you are is how you lead. Um, there's a lot of books that have been written uh, on topics about leadership. Why is this different? The premise of our work here at MetaWorks is that 
your inner world and your relationship to yourself and your relationship to others is really what makes you successful at the highest levels of an organization. We may mostly work with leaders at the top of the organization and they have a great deal of impact. And what we found is it's not usually a lack of technical ability. You know how to do your job, but somehow it's something's getting in the way. And more often than not, after the hundreds of leaders that I've coached, it's clear that what's getting in the way is yourself. And so it's vital that you are fluent in the language of yourself. What gets you really upset? Why are you getting really upset? Where is that coming from? And how are you attending to those around you in the same way? And the more you pay attention to yourself and your relationships with others, the more successful you are without fail. And one of the things they talk about in this book is, you know, the importance of a leadership position that, uh, you know, in the military, we always say, you're no longer at the tactical level, you're at that strategic yeah. level. It's not about doing that, executing the tasks, but it's really all about uh, people. And so exactly. you describe excelling in relationships. So why is that uh, something that you have to sort of first look uh, within uh, in order to really succeed? You need to understand how you work. And how are your demons showing up at work? How is that self-righteous behavior, that finger-pointing behavior, that behavior that means that you don't speak up even though you have an opinion? How is that playing out in work? How is that getting in the way for you? And how can we help you change it? Absolutely. I'm chatting with Rachel Ryder, who founded MetaWorks in 2015 after a distinguished career in HR, and uh, she's written a fantastic read, Who You Are is How You Lead, again, filled with how-to, step-by-step exercises, and so on. And Rachel, I mean, something that I find interesting is you weave your personal and professional narrative throughout this book, including how you've juggled your career being a mom, how your childhood dynamics played out in your leadership style, and how you, you overcame a physical ailment you suffered due to stress. Why was that important for you to do? Uh, Again, making this really personal and frankly, uh, really exposing yourself on so many levels. I deeply believe that no one can offer wisdom if they haven't experienced it and cultivated it directly. And I thought it was really important to share that no one's immune to their own demons and their own baggage and to also share that there is possibility as a way through it and that it doesn't entirely go away. You know, our relationship to our inner world is kind of like a spiral. It's not linear where we'll encounter the same themes of struggle in our lives in different ways throughout our lives. However, the relationship to them can change. And so in the book, I really try to discuss that as well as a recovering over accommodator. <laughs> I'd been working on that for 10 years. And then I had um, a heart arrhythmia, which was so connected to over accommodating. And so it just, our relationship to these struggles changes. And so I was able to attend to it quicker, address it quicker, but it still arose. And that felt like a really important teaching um, in helping folks understand what this means when they're examining their own stuff. Absolutely. And you're very clear to note in this, uh, in this read that you're not a psychologist, you're not a therapist, therapist, but you're a high level executive coach, but your approach again, as you just alluded to, it does lean heavily into that personal growth, emotional baggage and lifelong patterns of behavior. So can you explain where that line is drawn and how you avoid crossing it? Yeah, I really like to talk about how we do not work with people's trauma. We attend to what arises in the room right now as a result about what's going on in your life as a professional. 
of course your trauma may arise. Oh, that colleague who really pisses me off reminds me of my abusive alcoholic father. Shocker. We were like, we're, that's a beautiful thing to uncover. And that in that moment is when I say, and so take that to your therapist. The work you and I, my client, are going to do is how can we help your nervous system understand that the person you're working with is not your father? And so what we're really attending to is unraveling old belief systems and unhelpful behaviors in the moment. And should history and trauma arise, I help find someone to help support you in that. And so it's so important that we're clear on that so that you really feel safe and supported in what I have to offer you. Absolutely. And just as we wrap up, um, Rachel, you've been working with an anti-racism coach for years. Can you explain what insights you've gleaned from that work um, that now inform your coaching? It feels so important then when I work with individuals, I have a real understanding of my own lens that I'm bringing to the work. And that in that, when someone presents their felt experience about the world and I don't get it or I don't understand it or I presume maybe it's not true, that that's a really important moment for me to check myself and examine my own belief systems. Because what this work is really about is holding the other's experience and helping them to examine it deeply and release it where it's important to. And so it's vital for me as a white woman to be constantly examining my own whiteness and how I'm bringing that into exchanges, even with other white folks. Yeah. Very, very helpful. It's a great read, Who You Are is How You Lead, written by Rachel Ryder. Rachel, it's uh, really a joy to have you on, and I want to make sure our listeners can get in touch with you. Of course, find a copy of the book. How can they do that? They can go to www.metta.works.io, or you can find us on Instagram, meta.works, or you can find me on LinkedIn, Rachel Ryder. Fantastic. We've got to squeeze in a quick break over here, but be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share. Get down to business on your favorite podcast apps. We are all over the web, um, but we've got a lot more small business jobs and entrepreneurship when we return after this very quick break. Don't touch that dial. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. There's absolutely nothing I enjoy more uh, then jumping on each and every week on this program and talking to just incredible entrepreneurs, most importantly, incredible people doing amazing things. And that's why I'm thrilled to be joined by Christopher Turner, who uh, is really making a difference at Emergicon. Uh, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. But Chris, you're an entrepreneur. You are bridging the financial and human gap in EMS billing, which I can't say we've ever talked about on this program. And you've got a fascinating background. But first and foremost, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much. And yes, you are pronouncing it correctly. (laughs) Good. Fantastic. So, Chris, I know you are a financial advisor um, and friend for EMS services. There must be a story behind Emergicon. How did you one day wake up and say, I want to remove the burden of billing off the shoulders of EMS providers? My background is all in healthcare finance. And as a kid, I thought, I'll be a doctor one day. And then, you know, about a semester's worth of uh, science did that in. And so I changed to the business healthcare side of finance. And really what you see there is no lack of patients, no lack of need, no lack of providers. Everybody's busy all the time in healthcare 
touches every person in the world. In the United States, we have a particular problem with the way reimbursement is generally sought and given back to providers. What I mean by that is it's very confusing. It's very expensive. And as I saw this in my career, I saw it get worse and worse the more emergent the need became because you lose some of the structure you have when you maybe schedule a surgery, even go see your physician. So my background in, as an employed individual led me to start to see some tremendous gaps in emergency medicine and how that process of getting the actual providers reimbursed just, just had lots of room for improvement. Absolutely. And I know you've got some really fascinating statistics from, like you said, your, your time as an employee, um, really increasing cash collection um, for including a nonprofit ambulance company, which is really important. You just alluded to it, that first responders are really critical um, to the fabric of our society. We rely on them, but they're often underfunded, understaffed, overworked. And what right. you're doing is really filling a really important need. So Emergicon, um, I, I was just on your website and it's really, really impressive the amount of growth that you have a lot of career opportunities. Uh, you are in the Dallas area. Is that correct? That's correct. Fantastic. So tell us the, the premise of Emergicon and, again, how you're conquering this really, really important problem. What we really focus on is helping fire and EMS to understand where they can be reimbursed legally, where they can't be reimbursed, and how to manage that whole process. And, and what I mean by that is emergency medicine is going to have unreimbursed care, just the nature of the beast. You have people who uh, you know, can't afford um, or are unable for whatever reason. And so they work off a small, a small pool, let's say. So if you can imagine out of 100 incidents, maybe 70 are reimbursed at some level. So it's really important for them to understand um, they've got a duty to respond both on fire and EMS side, but they have a limited opportunity to get reimbursed. And then the difference oftentimes is, taken, is made up by taxpayers. So it's really important to get that right and help them to understand because you don't want to lean on the taxpayers more than you should. And then conversely, you don't want to lean on people who've received either care in an ambulance or some kind of fire response, you don't want them somehow to be responsible out of pocket for things that they're not responsible for. Absolutely. And and that's that's critical. So I want to talk to you from your perspective as an entrepreneur yourself. Again, you've made sure. that transition. So, you know, we have so many uh, amazing people that are starting uh, amazing enterprises. Again, you you certainly have been in the nonprofit side. You've been an employee. And of course, you are now an employer. So if you don't mind, Christopher, give us the behind the scenes of what was the most surprising thing getting into business you would potentially want to uh, help a fellow entrepreneurs avoid those roadblocks? I think the shortcut answer is you've got to very quickly align with people, processes that can help you. I realized several years ago, it's probably been eight years ago now, I'd better figure out how to actually be a CEO. Being a founder is different, but if you're going to be the active CEO in an organization, you have to figure out how to run and grow it beyond what your initial maybe either technical knowledge or passion was. So for me, that process looked like I had to look outside of my industry and I had to look for an ability to lean on peers and start to learn outside of schooling, of course, at a fast rate. 
And then we moved into, from that process, I joined a group called Vistage, which is a peer advisory group. And then I was referred to the entrepreneurial operating system. I realized, wow, you actually have to have a system run a company. And from there, I was introduced to Strategic Coach. Those were the absolute pivotal points of growth in my career as an entrepreneur. Before that, maybe fledgling entrepreneur, successful, growing, but not really to the scale we are now and for me personally as an individual. So any entrepreneur I meet now, I ask them about that. What kind of model are you following? Who do you rely on to get your coaching? Because those things are tremendously important. And I don't think they're spoken of generally enough in, in the general entrepreneurial community. Absolutely. I'm chatting with Christopher Turner, again, founder, CEO of EmergeCon Emergency Medical Billing based in Dallas, but really expanding very, very quickly. Um, and Christopher, again, sticking on that entrepreneurial theme, you founded the business in 2006 to fill a need in the Texas ambulance medical billing services industry. Um, but these past few years, man, it's been a crazy ride and the need for what you do, again, uh, supporting first responders and associated uh, businesses and organizations didn't go away. So how did how how was it sort of riding the wave and weathering the storm? You know, every state has challenges in Texas. We've got challenges, um, both from uh, COVID related challenges. You have challenges um, with people entering the country. You have all kinds of you have all kinds of challenges that face um, any kind of medical provider, and not the least of which is reimbursement. So, uh, fire and EMS uh, are largely tax supported, but they're woefully underfunded um, for any type of reimbursement they actually can receive. So, those are challenges, and we we work to help them to understand what that picture looks like and and what they where the parameters are that they can work in getting reimbursed. Absolutely. So Christopher, I, I, you know, going back into the nuts and bolts of what you do, um, one of the things that you talk about frequently on your website, which we'll send our listeners to, of course, is the Texas touch. You're really proud of that local sure. personalized support, not relying on automation and all of that. So as we have this conversation in late 2023 and you sort of look at your New Year's resolutions for 2024 and planning the year and perhaps even years ahead, where do you see Emerge kind of going? What's what's next for your business? We still want to serve fire and EMS as best we possibly can so that we're there for them. And um, that looks like who's the right fit for us and how can we serve them best? So it's kind of a right fit client to use a uh, EOS term. And how do we uh, select those clients and show them how we can provide value to them? Absolutely. And lastly, you know, one of the things that I know you pride yourself on is your team. Uh, and uh, again, they are the glue behind everything, uh, that amazing client services. I know you pride yourself on uh, ensuring that your clients can reach anybody within one minute or less. So any advice that you have for fellow entrepreneurs in building a team and, and the people side of business of the business? The people make all the difference. And you hear that all the time. Um, the, the way that we really got it right was to employ the model I mentioned, entrepreneur 
entrepreneurial operating system make some of the tough decisions that had to be made and then to rely on um, some of the tools to make really smart people decisions. So um, that that helps you ingrain culture, that helps you continue to have um, great conversations and sometimes difficult conversations and really demonstrate what true accountability looks like, which is one of the key tenets of great culture. Absolutely. Christopher Turner really enjoyed our conversation at MergerCon. You're making a huge impact in Texas and frankly beyond. I mean, really inspiring our listeners. Some really important guidance. Um, so I want to make sure our listeners can get in touch with you and your team if they want to learn more. How can they do that? You can find me on LinkedIn, of course, Christopher Turner at, with Emergicon, and also uh, my email is cturner at emergicon.com. Fantastic. Christopher Turner really enjoyed our conversation. Can't wait to bring you back on and follow some of that growth um, that I know is impacting so many folks in a really important industry. Thanks for your passion. Thanks for all that you do. And uh, again, we've got to squeeze in some headlines, commercials, quick break here on the show, all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. Visit my website, sykline.com. We'll be right back. And we are back on the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. As always, I encourage you to find us on your favorite podcast app. Just ask your smart speaker to uh, to listen, to get down to business. But be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share. It makes it even easier for others to find out all about this program. And speaking of this program, get on my website, sykline.com. Uh, so you can get a sneak peek of who's going to be on next week on the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. Check me out on Twitter at Shalom Klein. So I want to talk to you for a couple of minutes about volunteerism and specifically a couple of great volunteer opportunities. So, you know, you might be wondering, we're talking about small business on this program. Why would you want to volunteer? Business is all about making money. But in reality, uh, strategic volunteering can actually positively impact your career, your business. Um, so work experience is absolutely critical to moving forward in your career. You know that. But did you know that you could actually gain many valuable job skills through volunteering? As an agent for social change, volunteering allows you to impact communities while also accelerating your career. Strategic volunteering enables you to learn more about what activities and fields you enjoy identify your strengths, build connections, and gain important skills and experiences. So according to a report by the Corporation for National and Community Service, candidates with volunteer experience have a 27% better chance of finding employment than non-volunteer counterparts. Furthermore, in a Deloitte survey that I found of human resource executives, 81% felt skilled volunteering should be considered in a hiring decision, and 76% felt volunteering made a candidate more desirable, with the desirability factor even higher for volunteer experience among college graduates. So again, you might learn some really valuable skills, public speaking, presentation skills, technology skills, communication, social media, project management, career in your business. And I encourage everybody to take a long, hard look at, again, how volunteering in your community will help you with that networking experience, those professional skills that will really propel you. And most importantly, it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do. You're going to be able to make an impact in your community in areas that you are passionate about. Let's say you love animals, you love dogs, volunteer that humane society, volunteer that animal shelter. 
Realtor, and you'll likely network with people that you would you always get in touch with me on my website, sykline.com. But specifically, I want to spend a couple of minutes now talking about a very specific volunteer opportunity that I'm really, really passionate about. I've spoken about this many times I'm going to get down to business, but the ESGR. Many of you know that I have a connection with the military, and we are very fond of acronyms. So before I go on and on and describe a whole bunch of additional acronyms, ESGR, DOD, um, you know, let me tell you about ESGR. ESGR is the Department of Defense Office, which was established in 1972 to promote cooperation and understanding between reserve component service members and their civilian employers to assist in the resolution of conflicts arising from an employee's military commitment. ESGR is the employer support of the Garden Reserve. It's supported by a network of nearly 3,000 volunteers. That's right. I'm using the V word again. In 54 committees located across 50 states, the District of Columbia, Guam, Puerto Rico, and the U.S. Virgin Islands, volunteers hailing from small business and industry, government, education, prior military service, bring a vast wealth of experience to assist in serving serving employers, service members, and their families. Together with the headquarters, ESGR staff, and a small cadre of support staff for each state committee, volunteers work to promote and enhance employer support for military service in the Garden Reserve. And now we, you hear it in the news, military service is more important than ever. ESGR has served our country for more than 50 years, fostering a culture in which employers support and value the Employment and Military Service of Members of the National Guard and Reserve in the United States. These citizen warriors could not defend and protect us at home and abroad without the continued promise of meaningful civilian employment for themselves and their families. ESGR has continued to adapt to meet the needs of reserve component members, their families, and America's employers by joining forces with a network of other national, state, and local government professional trade organizations. Together, we all serve, and that's the ESGR motto. So there are a lot of ways that, again, you can help. Definitely volunteering. Volunteering, again, all of these resources are available on esgr.mil, esgr.mil. We need volunteers. We need volunteers to step up in Illinois and around the country. We also need employers to sign a statement of support. That statement of support really enables you to say, thank you for your military service. Thank you for your support. But it allows you to sign a pledge to support the military service of employees. doesn't even matter if you have military employees. Uh, there's also a progressive awards program where you can nominate a supportive supervisor and employer for support that goes above and beyond what's required by the law. So ESGR needs to hear that input, needs to hear from you, so we can create a culture in which all American employers value the military service of their employees and will limit the issues between employers and service member. ESGR, again, the Employer Support of the Garden Reserve, is able to answer any questions you may have regarding those opportunities. Visit esgr.mil. And I look forward to hearing from you. I'm a passionate volunteer here in the state of Illinois. Lastly, before we go to break, I want to encourage you to get in touch with our sponsor, Tom Mirabali. You can reach him 630-863-3477 for all of your health insurance and affordable care act needs. 630-863-3477. Or on his website, healthplanchicago.com. Again, don't touch that dial. You're listening to Get Down to Business. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. I've got a treat in store for you. Um, Research shows that although four out of five entrepreneurs believe that they have a good, if not certain, chance of success, 74% of new startup businesses fail. We talk about that often on Get Down to Business. Most often, 
due to overconfidence and loss aversion. Furthermore, according to research teams, decision makers tend to escalate their commitment even when knowing they're in a failing course of action. That's why I am thrilled to be joined by Dr. Vincent DiFilippo, who is a professor in the School of Accounting and Business at Monroe College. Prior to that, he was CEO of a private equity fund in Hong Kong, raising several billion dollars in venture capital for entrepreneurs and publicly traded companies throughout the Asia-Pacific region. That's why I'm so excited to bring him onto the program. Dr. DiFilippo has two master's degrees, along with professional certifications from Harvard, Brown, MIT, Columbia, New York Film Academy, and Hollywood Film School. His new book is called Breaking Point, How Escalation and Commitment is Destroying the World and How You Can Save Yourself. Vincent, thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much for having me. It's an honor and uh, definitely a pleasure. And I'm looking forward to our, our conversation today. Absolutely. Well, with all of those accolades, and I honestly only shared maybe 5% of it, I don't know how you had time to write a book, but we're glad you did because it's uh, it's something that we talk about frequently on Get Down to Business. I want to make sure we share with our listeners. So let's start with it. Breaking point, how escalation of commitment is destroying the world. What inspired you to write this book, Vincent? My own setbacks in life inspired me um, in the beginning um, because I was... Very early on, I started working on Wall Street when I was 18 years old, um, and I've had a long career in the, in the finance industry. But I was a, a very, I was a very busy and, and active stock trader, and I managed portfolios for high net worth individuals. And there were times where I would just pick a stock and it would just go, and I felt like a genius. Then there was other times where I did the same amount of research, same amount, same same amount of work looking at charts, and I would have losses. And those losses would, you know, get become significant. And then I realized that um, later on in life, when I started studying behavior and studying how could I make better decisions, I stumbled across two interesting um, um, professors. And one uh, one group was Starr and Ross. Okay, Professor Starr came up with escalation of commitment. But I went a little bit further. There was a, um, a, a gentleman named uh, Daniel Kahneman. And uh, Amos Tversky, Kahneman and Tversky, they won the Nobel Prize for prospect theory. Um, both theories are very similar, escalation of commitment and loss uh, and prospect theory, because they're talking about losses. They're talking about how we as individuals are um, we're unable to accept loss. We don't like to lose. So I started to realize that I had some cognitive biases. I had some, you know, problems when I was making decisions that I let my emotions get involved Um I had like anchoring bias and, and other things that we'll talk about as we go. But um, I really wanted to evaluate how can I, as an investor and a, and, a, and a leader, how can I make better decisions? And I started looking at behavioral finance, decision making. And um, these two theories really stuck out because they made me realize I made a lot of mistakes because of my own emotions and cognitive biases. So hence, I started going back to school and, and studying it. And that's when I got my, my doctrine and I wrote the book. And I wrote the book Absolutely. during the pandemic. I had a lot of time. <laughs> a lot of time. I, I can relate to that. And you've already sort of jumped in on this uh, quite a bit uh, in terms of some of those uh, examples. We'll dive deeper into that as we as we progress. But one thing that we're talking about so uh, often uh, on this program is, you know, we're having this conversation at the end of 2023, believe it or not. Everybody's talking about big data, AI. Um, so how is... Are these new trends going to help us make better decisions regarding when to walk away from a failing project? 
that's a great point because AI is the hot buzz right now, right? And everybody wants wants to on the investment side, everyone's looking for that next big investment in AI. But as far as let's look at my particular field, financial services, AI has been um, you know been active in my my particular industry because we've had robo advisors, we've had different types of algorithms and different types of you know programs that have tried to make better investment decisions for us. And going forward, you know, how do we manage a portfolio? Um, AI is becoming more and more prevalent. But we have to remember, humans are programming these things, and um, it's not perfect AI. Will it get better in the future? I believe it will. Uh, but there's gonna, there needs to be some transitional period. There needs to be some time. AI is going to affect a lot of businesses. It makes me wonder how many jobs are going to be left for our children, right, in the future. Um, so, but I, I really believe that, you know, you can't replace sometimes that gut instinct or, you know, that just that experience level of, of a business person or an experienced entrepreneur who's been through the ups and downs um, or an experienced trader that understands, you know, the behavior of the markets, right? So mm-hmm. it's going to be a big input, I think, but we need to allow it time to develop. It's got to work out its bugs and we can't rely a hundred percent on AI making decisions because the fact checking yeah. part, right? AI is just coming up with whatever, you know, whatever knowledge, you know, that famous story about the lawyer who used AI um, to do a, you know, a, a disposition. A, a We've talked yeah. about it on the program. It's, <laughs> it's you cannot rely on it. You cannot rely on it. And there's no replacement for again. Uh, I mean, <laughs> that's a good example. And, and, you know, just before we cut to break, I'm chatting with Dr. Vincent DeFilippo, a professor in the school of accounting and business at Monroe college. Um, Vincent, real quick, how does escalation of commitment pertain to areas of our lives outside of business? Think about relationships. Why do you stay in a relationship that is, you know, it's it's toxic, it's destructive, right? We keep on escalating because sometimes we just feel the person's going to change or if we put a more effort in and more time that they're going to be different or treat us better. You know, there's a lot of people that stay in abusive relationships because they're afraid to lose all that sunk cost, all that time they put in, especially on the investment side. Or even Absolutely. Politics. Look at politics the way, you know, we, we want to win the argument. No question about it. We're going to have to leave it there for a moment. We're going to come back with Dr. Vincent Filippo, the author of Breaking Point, How Escalation of Commitment is Destroying the World. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. Continuing my conversation with the author of Breaking Point, How Escalation and Commitment is Destroying the World and How You Can Save Yourself. I'm chatting with Dr. Vincent Filippo, And Vincent, you were just sharing with me how, again, uh, you know, definitely escalation and commitment um, pertains to areas of our lives outside of business. We we're talking about relationships um, and appreciate you sharing that and appreciate you sharing, you know, your personal connection with this. So do you mind? briefly sharing with us modern example of an escalation of commitment in a business context. Ooh, it happens a lot in project management. It happens a lot in, you know, um, in technology even. Like what if I'm, what if you and I are entrepreneurs, we're starting a business, we put, you know, we put some money into building this, uh, this platform and we go out and we need to build a manufacturing plant. It's going to cost us 20 million. Well, after we sunk in 10 million, halfway through, we realize our model wasn't the, the best thought out. Technology has changed. Maybe our platform is obsolete or that we can outsource and, and maybe save a lot of money, but we continue to go forward. We continue because we don't want to lose face. We self-justify our original decision-making um, and the data that we looked at, and we kind of 
try to make it fit and confirm that things haven't changed so drastically that we need to, you know, stop our endeavor and we pour money into it. Um, we pour m- more money into it, into a losing situation. I've learned this in stocks, right? You buy a stock, it goes down, right? And then what do you do? We're taught to average cost down, right? Um, dollar cost averaging. Let's don't be sore, buy some more, right? But unfortunately, we start trying to catch a falling knife and we bleed to death because when the stock goes down 20, 30, 40%, something's drastically wrong with the fundamentals. So, you know, we have to be aware of our own biases and we have to be aware that yeah. sometimes our emotions play a big effect in our decisions. Vincent, with all of your credentials, I know you've been studying this. And again, you, you wrote this book during COVID. You mentioned that already. I know you've thought a lot about this. So what is it about human nature that drives us to persist in a uh, failing pursuit? So, you know, I touched upon it with the loss part, right? We don't want to lose. Um, you know, and cognitive biases are very real, like anchoring. When you go to buy a new car, what's the first thing you do? You look at the sticker, right? The the sticker on the window, that's the anchor price. And then when the car salesman, nothing wrong with car salesman, but when they come to you, um, they're saying, well, I'm going to get you a great deal. You know, we can knock that sticker price down 5,000, maybe 10,000. You feel great because you have the anchor, right? So we have these subliminal messages, really, these cognitive biases and emotions that, um, that we're all born with, right? And there's nothing wrong with, you know, having these. We just, we need to work on the developing more awareness of it so we can kind of correct that decision-making process and make higher probability of success decisions. Um, it's and, and if you look, you know, my recommendation is look at uh, Kahneman and Tversky. You know, they wrote some great, great books, um, Daniel Kahneman, and, you know, he's got some great stuff on behavioral finance and decision-making, and the guy won the Nobel Prize. Pretty impressive. <laughs> Dr. Vincent DiFilippo, again, uh, it's a great read, uh, Breaking Point, How Escalation and Commitment is Destroying the World, and most importantly, how you can save yourself. Um, I know you're a member of the Writers Guild. You have a doctorate in business administration, concentration, behavior, decision-making, leadership. Certainly the right guy for this conversation. I can't wait to have you back on uh, the program. But in the meantime, I know our listeners will want to get in touch with you um, and certainly pick up a copy of this book that came out just a few months ago. How can they do that? Uh, you can go to Amazon and, and just put in um, Breaking Point, B-R-A-K-I-N-G, like a breaking on a car. Or they can even go to my, my website, um, vincentdifilippo.com. Uh, or they can just check me out where I work, which is my private equity fund in New York on Wall Street, which is V-I-E-N-N-A-C-A-P.com. Viennacap.com has my information there, even has my mobile number. If uh, anyone has questions or needs guidance, any, uh, any advice, I've, uh, I've started a lot of businesses. I've failed a little bit. I've won a lot, and I have a lot of experiences to share, and that's what I really love. I love to just share these experiences to help people make better decisions and hopefully avoid some of the mistakes I made. Yeah, we've all been there, done that. That's a wrap for us here. Absolutely. That's a wrap for us here on Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. We'll talk to you next Sunday at 6 p.m. To success, let's get down to business. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.